0: Hello, my name is Daryl Rutt and this is Camp Ridgers, the Dakota Rustler Show. Today's topics include a possible health link between your microwave and your baby, Canada's contribution to carbon emissions, is Kenya about to police Haiti? And more. But before I get to that, my first foray into ebook writing is complete. It's a political opinion book called The Independent Libertarian, and it costs a mere $4.25. It's about 35,000 words or 120 pages, so it is readable in a day if you have time. And it's available in four different formats. There is a mini background bio in it, which helps readers to understand why I think the way I do. And the easiest way to buy it is to follow the link at dakotarustler.org. Thank you in advance. Now let's get to the news. Number one out of Reuters forest fires in canada this year have released 290 million tons of carbon dioxide doubling a previous annual record and emissions are set to rise as hundreds of fires remain active across the country the canadian fires account for over 25 percent of the global carbon emissions for 2023 to date. 25% I think that makes them worse than China doesn't it way to go Canada you are number one at something this year's wildfire season is also the worst on record for area burned with over 50,000 square miles already scorched across eastern and western Canada that's a tad more than the size of North Carolina going up in flames Wildfire smoke is linked to higher rates of heart attacks, strokes, and more visits to the emergency rooms for respiratory conditions. The carbon released is roughly equivalent to Indonesia's annual carbon dioxide emissions from the burning of fossil fuels. Once again, congratulations, Canada. You're adding untold costs to your national health care system. And don't blame global warming. Temperatures do not cause fires. Sparks do. I did a podcast last year in which I presented the fact that over 90% of fires are caused by careless people or power companies, not nature. Nearly all of Canada's 13 provinces and territories have been impacted by wildfires. As of late last week, there are more than 1,000 wildfires burning in Canada, with about 660 considered out of control. Maybe they need to start playing that jackal song. What was it? Uh, I remember. When will it rain? Quote, As fire emissions from boreal regions typically peak at the end of July and early August, the total is still likely to continue rising for some more weeks, and we will continue to monitor it, unquote, said a senior scientist at Copernicus. Forest acts as a critical sink for planet-warming carbon. It's estimated that Canada's northern boreal forest stores more than 200 billion tons of carbon, equivalent to several decades worth of global carbon emissions. Well, it doesn't anymore. A lot of it's disappearing. When forests burn, they release some of that carbon into the atmosphere, which speeds up global warming and supposedly Creates a dangerous feedback loop by creating the conditions where forests are more likely to burn. And as I said, 90% are caused by man, not nature. Either way, maybe Canada needs to kick up its firefighting capabilities. New story number two, also from Reuters. Not only are sanctions harmful when America imposes them, but they are also harmful when other nations impose them. Nigerian driver Amadou Munkakela was en route to deliver a truckload of onions to Ghana when last week's military coup forced him to do a U-turn and return to his country's capital as borders slammed closed. Now he is among scores of drivers stranded in limbo with perishable products. A result of the stiff, here it is, sanctions imposed by Niger's regional and international partners after the military takeover. Drivers are huddled discussing what to do with their cargoes. The closure of borders by the economic community of West African states poses a special threat to landlocked and impoverished Nigeria. Amid a worsening food crisis, the need for key imports, including rice, will not be trucked in from neighboring countries. Up to 1,000 vehicles a day, many carrying goods to markets, would normally travel the trade corridor between the port of Katanu in Benin and Niamey, however you pronounce those cities, making it one of the busiest crossings in West Africa, according to U.S. government data. While some borders had reopened, those within Benin and Nigeria and the vital links to their Atlantic ports remain closed due to the sanctions. The Union chiefs said the bottlenecks were especially painful because the ongoing rainy season means the food shelf life is at its shortest due to the humidity. In recent days, one of the drivers saw his load of rice worth $1,200, which is a lot of money in Nigeria. He saw it spoiled because he was not able to deliver it. Nigeria can ill afford such waste. As many as 3.3 million Nigerians are facing acute food insecurity. The second highest level in over a decade according to the United Nations World Food Programme. This was before the coup plunged the country into further turmoil, so it's only getting worse. Now the truckers and their cargoes are among the first victims of the sweeping sanctions aimed at bringing coup leaders into line through the economic and political pressure. How many times have I said on this show that sanctions don't hurt the military coup dictators or any other type of dictator. It only hurts the citizens trying to make an honest living. Sanctions destroy lives. They don't create regime change. And here's another example. News story number three from the Associated Press sticking with the Africa theme. The Kenyan police force has long been accused by human rights watchdogs of killings and torture, including gunning down civilians during Kenya's COVID-19 curfew. One local group confirmed that officers fatally shot more than 30 people in July, all of them in Kenya's poorest neighborhoods, simply over protest about the rising cost of living. However... The U.S., in its great wisdom, is preparing to put forward a resolution to authorize a mission to Haiti, led by the Kenyan police, who have little overseas experience and who don't even speak French, which is the language in Haiti. For more than nine months, the U.N. had appealed unsuccessfully for a country to lead an effort to restore order to the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. Why on God's green earth would we condone Kenyan police, who are abusive, going to police Haiti? Haiti has basically been run by gangs and crooked cops for months. Kenyan police will be no better. Kenya recently announced interest with its foreign minister saying his government has accepted to positively consider leading a force in Haiti and to send 1,000 police officers to train the Haitian national police, restore normalcy, and protect strategic installations. I'm sorry, but the national police are part of the problem. What do you think will happen when one corrupt police force trains another corrupt police force? This certainly isn't going to be a case of one canceling out the other. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken praised Kenya for simply considering to serve, a sign of difficulty in mustering international forces in Haiti, where deadly gang violence has exploded since the 2021 assassination of President Hovenel Moise. We don't need an international force, people. We just need one U.S. battalion, one month, done. Quote, we have to find someone who can help us. Unquote, one Port-au-Prince resident said. Well, to that citizen, if you think it's going to be the Kenyan police, you might as well line up against the wall and put your blindfold on now. To make matters worse, Kenya's police force has received millions of dollars in training and support from the U.S., European Union, and other partners in recent years, with Washington focusing on promoting police accountability and professionalism. Considering all human rights violations, that doesn't seem to be working. Par for the course. To quote another Kenyan citizen, The kind of brutality that has been meted out on innocent and unarmed civilians in the last couple of months has been unprecedented. Those youth that you are killing require jobs, not bullets. The article goes into more detail, but I need to move on. And with that, it's time to take a break, but don't go away when I come back. More horse sense. Hello and welcome back to the Dakota Rustler Show. Before I get into the last two stories, I need to do my usual weekly shout out to Dan Heim and to Vinnie Camilleri who provide the music on the show and also to Arabelle Kimmick who does all the voiceovers. If you need a voiceover done for anything you are doing, you can find her at arabellevoiceoverartist.com and her name is arbel with that let's get into the final two stories new story number four and i'm not sure where i drug this one up at international bodies have called for urgent intervention in the darien gap to prevent further escalation of a humanitarian crisis as new figures showed that record numbers of people are risking their lives to cross the lawless 100-mile stretch of rainforest between Panama and Colombia. The calls come after the Panamanian government revealed on Monday, which was a week ago, Monday, that 250,000 people took the perilous journey in the first seven months of 2023, more than the entire total for last year. About 52,000 people crossed the Darien in July alone. This year's total could hit 400,000, most wanting to come here. This is not an immigration issue, people. This is an invasion that's close to half a million people. Some migrants walking through the swath of swampy jungle on their way to the U.S. never emerged from the other side of the rainforest due to treacherous terrain, attacked by armed groups of bandits, and the sheer physical challenge of the 10-day trek. Most are malnourished and poorly equipped when they set out, meaning relatively minor illnesses like fungal infections can quickly become life-threatening. Migrants frequently describe passing decaying bodies left unburied along the route. You know, I'm sorry, but we cannot be the world's rescue shelters. Liberals love to hate on the 1%. Well, guess what? Worldwide, Even most of our country's poorest people are the 1%. We can't have 7 billion people rushing to get into America because they're poorer than we are. The UN agency is ramping up its operations supporting the Panamanian government's response, mainly by providing critical support in areas such as food, shelter, and medical care. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security launched a joint program with the Colombian and Panamanian governments in April to stop refugees making the crossing. Well, that's not going to happen if the U.N. is helping them. The vast majority come from Latin America and the Caribbean, with 55% coming from Venezuela, where the country's economic collapse under Nicolas Maduro has forced more than 6 million people to flee deep poverty, insecurity, and hunger. 14% of migrants who made the crossing this year came from Ecuador, which is engulfed in a new wave of cartel-led violence. An equal number came from Haiti, which I just mentioned in my previous story. Some of you know that I am a Monroe Doctrine type of guy. Imagine how much we could help out Latin America if we just quit sending tens of billions to Ukraine and other areas and forced Europe to defend themselves. It might even be time for us to leave NATO. It's time to defend North America, not the world. There should be no reason all these people want to come here. News story number five. This is the main one. Scientists have known for some time that plastic baby bottles shed millions of particles into formula, which infants end up swallowing while sucking on plastic bottle nipples. Even in baby foods, there are lots of plastics. When microwaved... These containers release millions of bits of plastic called microplastics and nanoplastics. Plastics are a blend of carbon polymers mixed with chemical additives that help mold the polymers into their final shape and aid in resistance to oxidation and UV exposure. Microwaving can cause a container to have tiny cracks, thereby shedding tiny bits of itself as microplastics, nanoplastics, and leachates, which are toxic chemical components of the plastic. While long-term plastic exposure is unclear, scientists suspect it is not good. Once they enter the body, they coat themselves with proteins, slipping past the immune system incognito. Our kidneys remove waste and do fairly well at filtering out the relatively larger microplastics, so we probably excrete a lot of those but nanoplastics are small enough to slip across cell membranes and make their way to places they shouldn't make their way to. It's quite likely that nanoplastics can be very toxic. The chemicals used in plastics can affect our hormones, which are signaling molecules underlying basically everything the body does. Therefore, these chemicals have the potential to mess with everything from metabolism, think all the overweight people in today's society, to sexual development and fertility. And I shouldn't joke about it, but I can't help it. Think of all these people who have sexual identity problems. Just saying, just putting it out there. The article then goes on to how all the testing was conducted and the research of each test. In general, they found that hotter storage temperatures cause plastic particles to leak into food. One polypropylene container released over 400,000 more microplastics per square centimeter. That's a tiny area after being left in a hot room as opposed to being stored in a refrigerator. The team also bathed human embryonic kidney cells in the plastic roughage shed by the baby food containers. After just two days of exposure to concentrated microplastics and nanoplastics, about 75% of the kidney cells died. While the concentration of plastic used in these solutions was far higher than what a baby would likely be exposed to by eating from a microwave food jar in real life, it should be noted that the full extent of plastic particle accumulation over time is unknown and might be quite high. In addition, when plastic is broken apart by heat, tons of chemical additives fly out as well. So you are basically microwaving your child into chemical poisoning. A review published in the Journal of Hazardous Materials last year found that exposure to microplastics can cause cell death, inflammation, and oxidative stress. So there you have it. Quit feeding babies and very young toddlers anything from plastics, especially if heated in plastics. Use glass bottles, not plastic bottles. We need to get plastics out of our lives as much as possible. And, in addition, don't put that nipple on until after the formula is heated. So, yeah, try and have a healthy baby. Avoid heating plastics. Well, that's time to call it another show. You know the mantra, question authority, and always be free.